0: Before we get to the episode, if you're listening to us, you're likely interested in Israel with hopes of traveling here soon. Well, lucky for you, we've got the scoop on Masah Israel journey with an amazing range of life-changing opportunities in Israel. Masah has so many different programs. They got gap years, academics, internships, volunteering, and even career programs, uh, Masat really is the way to go. The pandemic didn't stop them either. Promoting options to study remotely while living in Israel. There's no need to be fluent in Hebrew or break your bank account. They even supply partial funding. So you can make a positive impact on the world, and you can fuel your passion, and you can make your travel dreams a reality. So go to masaisrael.org, find out more. Check them out. I really, really recommend it. I was uh, on a massage program. Totally worth it. More than five years ago, in November 2016, before the world turned upside down, Doron Nir was our first guest ever on the podcast. Doron was and still is an entrepreneur, as well as one of Israel's podcasting pioneers. Ever since that legendary episode, Doron went on to found Stream Elements, which is now one of the fastest growing, most promising new Israeli startups in the world. Stream Elements is a platform for online streamers, mainly gamers, but not only, who want to enrich their streams with a variety of amazing tools and features. And if the last sentence is Chinese to you, don't worry, because we have Doron with us today, straight from the new hipster capital of the world, Austin, Texas. Doan is the president and co-founder of Stream Elements, his podcast Geekonomy, which he co-hosts with another Stream founder, stream Elements co-founder, Ra'em Sherman, is one of the most successful Hebrew podcasts to date. We're super, super happy to have Doan back on the podcast again today to discuss his company, his career, and much, much more. Thank you so much for joining us, Doan. How are you? I, I, I'm blown away by this intro. I
1: am blown away by this. (laughs) I do not deserve half of the praise you gave me, but thank you so much. And I'm, I'm delighted to be uh, uh, revisiting your podcast.
2: Thank you so much for coming again to the show. How, how have you been?
1: I'm great, man. Um, It's a, it's a, it's a great time to be everything that I'm doing, which is an entrepreneur, uh, build a startup in the creator economy. have your own podcast as you know uh, it's just a wonderful uh, time in history to
0: to do all these things so i'm i'm in a very good uh, place in my life it's like all the stars aligned I mean everything is now right podcasting gaming all the things that 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 you're involved in are kind of at the center right now and it's it really is
1: it's a it's a revenge of the nerds kind of moment
0: you know <laughs> when
1: everything that you were excluded and mocked for in your childhood suddenly becomes mainstream and and uh and the prominent culture yes
0: it's a wonderful time to be a nerd you can finally you can finally put the action figures like you have in the background on display proudly and uh yeah that's that's exactly how it is nice so you have relocated since we last spoke to austin texas i did before he was in California, I, I know everything. Uh, before he yes. was in California, though. You were in California. So, how, how is it in Austin? Tell us a little bit about that before we jump into stream elements. Um, Austin is, um, <laughs> there's
1: a podcaster that I really love called Mark Marin, who's both uh, a very neurotic Jew and lives in California. And he refers to Austin as the hipster Alamo. And I think that sums it up beautifully. Um, the Alamo means that this is Texas through and through. The people are Texans. The the vibe is Texan, uh, and we can talk about what that means. But it's also very very hipster, uh, super inclusive, um, uh, liberal. Um, it's a it's a blue area in an otherwise very red state, um, and it's also a really fun town. There's a there's a vibrant music scene. There's a lot of uh, culture festivals
0: in the area. It's a great place. It's a great place for a startup, I imagine. Like it's a great environment to just kind of to develop kind of a, an awesome company culture, probably. I think so. We, we don't have a lot
1: of impl- So it's interesting with Stream Elements, um a lot of the creators that work with our platform actually live in the area. So that was not one of the reasons that I moved here but as I was moving here I discovered that a lot of top video creators in the gaming category uh live in Austin because there's a great combination of weather uh low taxes and um you know just good infrastructure high speed internet um uh easy to access any place in America etc um but uh, me personally, I moved here um, regardless of the work on the startup because uh, Stream Elements is a fully remote company. So everybody works from wherever they are. It's been like that since we started, uh, since COVID happened. And we, and we essentially made the decision to go full remote and we never went back. Uh, the only place the company has an office is in Tel Aviv. And even that is mostly for uh, the people who live in Tel Aviv and have relatively small apartments and need an office rather than uh it
0: being a mandatory thing to go to so people only come if they have to and you don't feel like i mean i really want to get into the stream element story but this is an interesting topic that i don't think we've yet discussed on the podcast you don't you guys don't feel like you've lost anything in in going fully remote or do you just feel that the the benefits are greater than the costs if
1: I may redirect the question to you, what do you think might be
0: lost when you go fully remote? We did go fully remote for like a year. People I don't think. know who's we? Well, in my company, I work at a startup as well and 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 we also went fully remote. and I felt now coming back, there's something in the energy of of being in an office passing by people, you know, in the hall and having small conversations. And sometimes that sparks ideas. And I think it actually be, you know, there's a lot of people talking about how maybe that's the next space of solutions is how to ignite that in the remote space. But that's something that you don't, you don't get when, you know, you only have the scheduled meetings and, and you only have these very, you know, carved out moments. Yes. I think um, going full remote, uh, for a company culture,
1: requires some discipline uh, because you do lose the casual meetings, the lunches, the um, you know the 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 people bouncing in and off each other, uh, both for ideas and and you know just communication. Um, so you have to be a lot more disciplined around communication, um, and that requires people. Uh, to be slightly more grown up about it, and I think with stream elements, because this is such a passion-driven company, uh, it worked beautifully for us. People are are aligned with the culture. They they want and and share often with each other. Um, they do all sorts of you know extracurricular um, Zoom calls so that they can stay in touch, even though they are not bumping into each other in the halls. But it does require a certain amount of discipline. I, I fully agree with that. I don't feel that we lost anything because the the, the benefits are so tremendous. And the amount of uh, value that people get from a fully remote culture, in terms of work-life balance, in terms of being at home, uh, in some cases for their children, in some cases just you know, the comfort of their home, I think it's so big that they're, they they gladly pay the price of, um, of adopting to this new mode of work. Uh, For us, this has been a game changer. The company skyrocketed since we went full remote. I don't necessarily think it was because of going full remote, but it definitely
0: contributed to the productivity of the team so tell us a bit about stream elements like let's 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 get into that story where did it start i think i stream remember elements, you telling us a bit about it i'm not sure it was the idea no, does the idea so. go that far back i feel like i remember you telling yes. us something about it on the first yes. episode
1: so no november 2016 is uh a time where uh me and or perry uh my co-founder was uh we were already uh, going after investors and, and, and trying to raise money for the company. So the idea existed and, you know, when I think about startups and stream elements is no different. The first thing is what is the market thesis? Because the market is always bigger. I, I, I usually tell entrepreneurs that um, building a startup, especially early stage is the equivalent of um, building a raft to cross the ocean, um, you have no chance of pulling it through unless there are really strong waves and winds that will carry you to your destination. And so the job of an early stage startup is really to catch those waves and that wind and use that momentum to get as far ahead as you could. The market thesis that StreamElements is based on is – what is now become known as the creator economy but it's essentially the democratization and 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 dramatic uh bar lowering of creating and distributing digital content over the past years that and and we're talking about youtube instagram facebook um uh, all the podcasting ecosystem uh in all these categories there was a disruption of mainstream media. you don't need band you don't need uh, uh, FM wavelengths anymore to broadcast audio. You can just do a podcast. you don't need um, you know a, a, a TV station or an antenna or permission from the government. you just need to record your video content and upload it to YouTube and distribute it across social media. all these uh You know, examples essentially lead to the age of digital content creators that we are in right now, where a certain, uh, a a single person has the ability of building a media property worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And Joe Rogan is one example of that. But there are many, many others. People who essentially built on PewDiePie and Mr. Beast. Yeah, all these guys, Mr. Beast, of course. All these individuals are are one-person media conglomerates, and that could never have happened 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And that's, of Mm -hmm. course, thanks to the internet. Um, And I was was aware of that market dynamic uh, for a long time through my passion to podcasting, through my passion to video content creation, gaming, where this is really... um, one of the spearheads of content, digital content creation, and so uh, back in 2016, I was looking at that, and I was looking for an opportunity to penetrate the media market with a cross-platform product or, or, or you know, just a, um, a strategy. And then I met Or Perry. Or Perry at the time was building a set of content creation tools for live video content creators, specifically on Twitch. Uh, a chatbot that would help with uh, content, with uh, audience engagement. A an overlay system that will help with motion graphics on the screen. Something really, really fun and nice and helpful that he um, that he knew very well because he was both a creator streamer in his own right, but also m- helping uh, streamers make more money, like a like an agent, like an Ari Gold for the Twitch era. Um, and he was uh he identified the need and so he collected a bunch of uh young hungry software developers uh and started to build that cool shit um and when i saw that i immediately identified the uh that this resonates very strongly with the thesis that i was looking for and and i offered him bless you um and i offered him uh to become partners and and go raise a significant amount of money to build this into a massive media company fast forward 5 years the company's already you know valued in hundreds of millions of dollars uh more than a million monthly active creators are using it more than 70% of the top creators in gaming live uh video are using it um and and revenue just keeps growing you know it's a beautiful journey. I, 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 I never could have imagined that this is going to happen so fast and, and so effectively. And we are one of the very, very fortunate companies that COVID actually boosted. Um, so since Corona started, things really got crazy, both on you the revenues. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and probably several others. But the entire thesis of digital Uh, content creation and distribution and and the creator economy, which is part of a broader market thesis that is referred to as web three these days, um, just got a massive boost from
0: COVID. So, okay. So I want to, I want to go back to the, you fast forwarded through the five years, which I think there's some interesting moments there, but I want to before that give us kind of like the, the user story version of what stream elements is like, okay, I am a gamer. And this gives me a bunch of tools to be able to interact with my audience. I'm a gamer that has audience. Like what exactly does the yes, tool? Create? Very,
1: very, very simply put. Yes. If you are a, a gaming video content creator, one of those crazy guys that plays video games for a living, um, and you go live, uh, you essentially need to manage an entire broadcast by yourself, or maybe with a little bit of help from your, uh, chat admins, uh, while you are playing a game in the highest levels which is a pretty daunting task uh, from a mental bandwidth perspective and so stream elements platform is like the control room of a tv studio but as a web service Um, you connect to it you can create a whole bunch of overlays uh, and graphics for your broadcast some of these can be triggered by the audience through donations and all sorts of interactions that we enable. Uh, Some of these are are triggered by your admins or by yourself. Um, You can build a merchandising store and sell your branded merchandising to your audience. And, And what we, you know, essentially is the biggest opportunity for us is to connect those creators, which essentially run Uh, um, you know, a a YouTube channel or a Twitch channel that has more viewership than some of the broadcast companies in Israel, Um, we can connect them with brands for the sake of sponsorship. So sponsorship, merch, and audience engagement, you get this all in one beautiful Swiss army knife for live video content creators. That is Stream Elements. My mom, wait, but but my mom would ask, who
2: the hell is watching and and nobody plays
1: boring video game (laughs) so i would i would ask your mom if she ever sat and enjoyed watching a cooking channel and if the answer is yes which i assume it is then it's the exact same thing uh but video games instead of cooking it's a fun activity The personalities that are playing and streaming and engaging with their audience are a wonderful combination of great players of games, which is always fun to watch. If you like a game, if you like basketball, if you like baseball, seeing the top players play the game is entertainment. Mm -hmm. Um, Second, they are entertaining in their own right. They're not just gamers. they're, They're fun people. So you're hanging out with fun people. So it's a combination of great athletes, cyber athletes, entertainers, and community leaders. Imagine like um, like a Hollywood celebrity, a Michael Jordan, and a rabbi bundled into one person. <laughs> Would you watch that person? And the answer is millions and millions and millions actually do. It's like the biggest. Like the numbers are insane, right? In this insane. Industry insane, insane, man. You mentioned Mr. Beast earlier, uh, who, of course, does not do as much gaming. He does this sort of Dudu Topaz kind of you know, social games content now. Yeah. Um, and But he started in gaming, like most of them. PewDiePie, of course, started in gaming. Um, and you got people who are really the top echelon of, of video game uh, players, uh, professional players in the world today, guys like Shroud and uh, of course, Ninja and Fortnite. Uh, these individuals for their live streams have more viewership than TV stations in America, TV stations in Israel even. Mm-hmm. So that's the magnitude of this business. And it's growing by almost, almost 30% year over year for the past seven years. So just imagine, I, yeah.
0: I, I imagine that these people, I mean, I don't know you tell me, but I imagine these people already, because they're so huge, they have some kind of team behind them or are they still one, one person show? They all get help. So once you
1: go above a certain level, it, there is, it's virtually impossible to manage, uh, your entire broadcast production business activities, um, and do the broadcast itself, which sometimes runs for seven, eight, maybe twelve hours a day. Wow. Uh, so these are very hardworking people. They do have teams when they get beyond a certain size. Uh, many of them have agencies. Many of them are if they're uh, professional gamers, they're part of esports teams. So yes, of course. And I can tell you that the major uh, Hollywood uh, talent agencies. All of them have now an esports or gamer category where they sign up that talent, and some of them actually go as bold as building their own agencies. Very famous uh, uh, Twitch streamer called Pokimane, um, uh, who's uh, both entertaining and incredibly successful, started her own talent agency, and now she's signing creators, and she has an entire team managing
0: that agency for her. Mm-hmm. This is big business. This is like the future of media. It's amazing. So, but so, assuming that those guys already have like teams around them, and may are, are they still potential customers of Stream Elements? Or Absolutely. Because none yeah. of
1: none of these operations, none of these teams or agencies, are a tech company that actually builds products for them. Mm. So they they need software services and they need a platform for everything that they do. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, you know,
2: the, uh, um, Can you give us an example for features that they would use in streaming? So I'll,
1: I'll, I'll give you an example of, uh, one of our most, um, popular features. Um, almost every creator that gets to a certain size of audience, uh, is opening, the channel for donations or tips okay and this is essentially a flow that goes like this you watch a creator and you like him and you scroll down the page to their uh, donation slash uh, tipping um, uh, link you click that link you go to a stream elements page and you choose to donate 5 10 20 whatever the number is and you add a personal message, and then you click on pay now, and you pay through PayPal or credit card, and you go back to the broadcast, and and after about 20, 30 seconds, an alert, like a graphic alert is gonna pop up on the screen that says, or just donated $10, and your personal message, sometimes uh, just presented on screen, but sometimes also voiced in a uh, uh, a uh, Mm text-to-speech mechanism. Wow. And then the creator would go something like, uh, hey, Noor, thank you so much for watching the stream and supporting me with $10. That's really great of you. And you would not believe how much money this little mechanism provides creators every year. I will just say that it is well above $100 million a year. Wow. And we don't take a cut from that, by the way. This is not revenue for stream elements. This is direct revenue to the creators. Your but they make high. you stream...
0: Is, is mainly through the, the gamers themselves and subscriptions? and No, gamers don't pay for
1: Stream Moments. Our, our two main revenue sources are from brand activations, the connection of creators with brand sponsorships, and mm.
0: from the merchandising and commerce portion that's that's a really cool feature cuz it gives you that immediate feedback that you know like uh, when you were telling us about it I'm like why would anybody ever donate and then boom right the, the second you talk about the fact that it gets read out to the gamer and that he calls out the person you guys are much younger
1: than I am but when I was young um in Israel there was a TV show called Zeuze and and in every show somebody would be uh, you know, they would, they would bring him up on, uh, uh, they would bring him to the air live to talk to them through a, f- through a phone call. Mm-hmm. And if you got to be, if you were a kid in, in, you know, in elementary school, when I was in that age and you got to be on TV, if you got to call TV, you would be a hero for a month. <laughs> if you yeah. got to play uh, hugo, which was like a TV electronic game show and you got to play on Hugo, you would be a hero for a month regardless of the outcome. So this only provides, uh, you know, millions and millions of opportunities to connect with your favorite creator while they are live, while everybody's watching every single day. And it makes total sense. We all vibe on that sentiment of connecting to our favorite celebrities yeah absolutely that's very cool but um it wasn't your
2: first startup stream elements right you had you had failures before
1: and you i I had failures in stream elements as well (laughs) no journey is without failures so um stream elements is by far the most successful thing that i've ever built uh uh, and so is everyone else who is involved in it uh uh, my co-founder or gil uh, our current CEO Ram, of course. Um, our previous startup, startup mine, and Ram uh, was a, a mobile classifieds app like a Yachtime, uh, called Happy Sale, which we did for three and a half years, um, and was a a a big failure. I mean, essentially, we we scrapped the whole thing. It ended up with with close to zero. Um, so yes
0: so how do you kind of rise up out of the ashes like a phoenix like how how do you do you not do you not just like i mean does it it, it's got to take a toll right it does but but um so like were you were you broken down at the end of that were you like i'm not doing this again did you have doubts yeah I, I never thought to myself, I'm not doing that again. That's, uh,
1: I'm, I'm really that vain, uh, to (laughs) think to myself, there is no way I'm not doing that again. Um, I think so for me, entrepreneurship, uh, really started more than 15 years ago. And when I was about, I'm I'm 48 now, going on 40, 49. And when I was about 33 or 34, it occurred to me that throughout the first 10 years of my career, I worked for other companies. I did amazing work there that brought tremendous value and enjoyed very little of it. And so the conclusion for me was to work in places where I either own a significant portion of the company or am the founder and and CEO of and it it that decision started when I was um, 32 33 um, maybe maybe even 34 uh, right about when my first son was born uh, when my only son was born first child was born and from that point on and for a good decade I've known nothing but Mediocre success to failure, um, and and it doesn't really. I mean, if you're if you're aware that this journey takes a long time, uh, you see the learnings in failure, and you see the personal growth in failure, and you process it and you reflect upon it, and you get much better for the next time. Uh, you get much less fearful uh, for the next time, which makes you, um, you know, a better entrepreneur and a better business person. So the short answer is no, it never occurred to me to not do it again. Uh, But there are a lot of other learnings. Who am I going to do this with? How do I identify the business category that I'm going to go after? Um, Should it be an uphill battle or should it be relatively easy? There's a lot of other learnings, but mm-hmm. but quitting is dumb. It's like, you know, if, you, if you're up, if you decide that you want to be a professional, I don't know, tennis yes, player, player, yeah, yes. and you, and you fail and lose and get kicked out shamefully from your first four tournaments, then, then. The conclusion needs to be, I'm never doing that again. No, of course not. This is, I mean, you wanted to be a professional chess player. So you have to go for the next tournament. You have to get better. You have to learn and see that you are improving. As long as you see improvement in the long term, as long as you say, okay, I failed this time, but I failed much better than the previous time, um, then then you're good. Then you should keep going forward.
2: And what about the thing, you know... We have some friends, uh, Itai and Effie, who always uh, laugh about the notion that Israel is unique, being like the whole idea of startup nation is a bit far-fetched. And, uh, and yet you, like the, the kid from Haifa, came up with this idea that there, there was no reason that, like, the industry is American. So one would expect that such an idea to give a solution to such an American problem would rise in America, and yet it rose in Israel. So the question is, how come we produce so many startups and how come and is, the, is, the vibe, is the hype real is what I'm asking?
1: Uh, first of all, statistically, the answer is absolutely yes. Because when you see the uh, startups per uh, person or per million people in this country compared to other uh, countries, um, the answer is absolutely yes. I don't think anybody can argue with that. Uh, The question of why has been contemplated on and researched by many people, and I have my own personal thesis about it, but it doesn't mean that it's true. It's just my own um, personal thesis. And that is that Israel is in a very unique uh, situation of having uh, both a culture of scholarship. Um, the the, the, Jewish, um, the Jewish culture is very much instilled in, in scholarly, in learning, in exploring, in developing new ideas. People of the book. Um, yes. I think it's something that is very, very uh, Jewish in, its, uh, in, its, in, it, in in our roots. And I think you combine this with the fact that Israel is a country that's surrounded by other countries that for many years refused to do any sort of trade with it because there was the Arab uh, boycott. And so export to European and American countries was really... Uh, the only way for israel to survive economically i think the combination of these two lead to a situation where the best and the brightest of the country are constantly thinking about what can we sell to countries abroad to the goyim and to the goyim um <laughs> and i think that um, you're I, selling actually- to the Goyim. But we sell better we sell better to Jewish people in other <laughs> countries, just to be honest, but it doesn't matter it's still other countries you know and I think that um I think that the 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 result of that is that there were some decisions that were were made very early on in in the uh, history of Israel that were really critical to us being open and knowledgeable of these cultures. For example, when we were growing up, all TV was in its original language with subtitles. It was not dubbed. So me, somebody growing up in the 70s and 80s in Israel, no cable TV, no uh, you know download pirate content from uh, other countries, all the, the TV that we saw were in its original language. We saw Cosby, we saw the Muppets, we saw all these shows, the Simpsons, and we had to learn English to understand the nuance. So we sort of like became very, uh, um, you know, like almost an America, an American state um, overseas, if that makes sense. We're very, we identify ourselves culturally a lot with America. Um, I think the result of that was also that we, at least uh, nerdy boys like, like myself, um, developed a really strong affinity to the gaming industry. And and I, I built a website called VGames many, many years ago. It started in 1999. And, and I'm very proud in the fact that it's still going. Um, the idea of of taking cultures from other places and bringing it to Israel. It's a very Zionist movement, you know, starting European theaters in Israel, in Hebrew, starting European academies in Israel, in Hebrew. This is a very Zionist thing. And we were always indoctrinated to do that kind of shit. Um, And I think from that perspective, uh, stream elements is a very, very Zionist company, or at least that's how I think about it. It's a very Zionist thing to do. Um, and I'm very proud of it. I, I, I don't think it's a fluke. I see the patterns in history, at least for my personal childhood and the way I was brought up, that led to us being able to do stuff like that. And we're not unique. Taboola is doing the same, Outbrain is doing the same, uh, Wix we work. is doing the same, WeWork is doing the same. <laughs> with a with a dark side to it but yeah. i think there are a lot of the, there are a lot of companies that are innovating in the media space out of israel and are embraced globally
0: i i hate to get political but i have i have to because when you say zionist and then you talk about you know the fact that you guys are headquartered in austin and it's a very liberal area we're not headquartered in austin sorry not the headquarters is in tel aviv yeah yeah i'm yeah. in austin you're in austin and flat from california but were you guys based in austin before you went fully remote no 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 no. we just have people here okay we have people everywhere we have people in like probably eight or nine states maybe even more 12 states in the in the u.s generally the startup scene i think in the united states the high-tech scene is a little bit more liberal leaning is a little bit more uh left-wing and there's sometimes a sense of of Anti-Zionism or anti-Israel sentiment within that that environment, that atmosphere. I get that sense at least. I'm not sure if it's based in reality, but I you don't think you don't think in Google no. or in Amazon. No, 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 no. Absolutely a- not. I will tell you what there is,
1: or at least how I experience it. Um, the The startup industry and in the in the high tech uh, sector of industry. Is, is trying very, very hard to be a meritocracy. We want to judge people by their skills and impact and, and, and both uh, their business success and product success and, and the way they help us shape the world. And the vision that Silicon Valley has for the world is, is, is without boundaries, it does not recognize race or gender, it really wants to be uh, uh, a human universal uh, unity, so to speak. I think from that perspective, any group that identifies itself with specific uh, races or, um, or, or um, ethnicities, is bound to get a, an immediate, um, you know, cringe response, like, Ew, really? And in the eyes of the world, Israel has not resolved the Palestinian problem. I have not met yet an American that does not recognize the fact that Israel is dealing with a really, really difficult situation when it comes to the Palestinian conflict. I've not met an American who told me otherwise. And definitely the Republican side of of America fully supports the use of force and and defense and everything. And I, I heard a lot of sentences like, can you imagine what would happen if this happened in the United States, like missiles flying on Tel Aviv or anything like that? What would the American army do? I do think, however, that with the civilian palestinian population uh there's a lot of stuff going on that israel uh, does not deal with very well that that you know that emits uh unflattering uh, pictures and images to the world mm-hmm. that the world does not care to see out of israel so i th- I, I think that is the extent of the israeli animosity bds is a marginal movement in America. It's marginal. It might be noisy, but it's marginal. It does not reflect any consensus regarding the relationships between the U.S. and um, and Israel. I think personally,
0: hmm. it's interesting. Um, okay, but I want to take us back to stream elements and okay. hear a bit about about like the first steps to realizing that this thing was actually going to be successful. Like when did you have some inkling of an idea that, I mean, of course you had the idea and you, you, you had the conviction that this was a, a, a problem that needed solving and there was a real need here. But like, when did you first realize that this was going to be a business success? The
1: business success portion happened um in the first quarter after COVID started. Um, so, so just to give you the timeline of the company, 2016, uh, me and Orr started raising money for the company, trying to raise money for the company. Nobody understood what the hell we're talking about. What is this weird creator gaming platform that you're building and, and I don't even know who needs this shit. And we got a lot of uh, cold shoulders from investors. And um, eventually, we got to a point where I felt that if we're not going to make a significant change in the way we strategize and, and, you know, go and talk to investors, uh, there's probably not going to be a company. And so I went to my good friend, Gil Hirsch. Uh, who was, uh, uh, he just cut, got back to Israel. He uh, built Face.com, sold it to Facebook, was product manager at Facebook for several years. And I asked him if he wants to be the chairman of the company and help us raise the money, because I felt that maybe with his credentials, um, investors are going to be more inclined to put money on us two schmucks uh, with that weird product that nobody understands. And, and it worked like a charm. Um from the moment Gil joined and uh started working with me on our pitch and started uh talking to investors to the moment that we had our seed round, it took less than two weeks. It was really just like a miraculous change. Um how much was the, the seed round? Uh eventually it got to 3.5 million. Wow.
2: So sometimes and it's not about the idea. It's not about the pitch. It's not about the business model. Sometimes you, need, you just need the
1: right person in the team. Well, Gil did help us also refine our pitch and brought yeah. a lot of um, seasoned entrepreneur perspective into the whole thing. So it's not just you know his uh, stamp or his face in a deck. It went a little bit deeper than this. But I will say this, if things are not working, change shit up. Yeah, that's good yeah. advice. Yeah. Um, Don't waste time saying? thinking that this wall will break if you just butt your head into it several more times. No, 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 right. no. Change shit up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you so raised the seed. We raised our seed round. Uh, about three months after we raised our seed round, uh, the number of creators that were using the platform started to grow exponentially. And there was a, I don't want to go into the entire details, but something happened in the ecosystem that brought us to the attention of some top streamers. And from that point on, instead of growing, um, you know, by by the hundreds of creators every month, which was the situation when we just raised our seed round, we did like 10,000 creators join the platform in a single month. And then by the end of the year, it was already 25,000 creators. Um, Like Omicron Yeah And and that was the first sense that we got Of what is usually referred to in the startup industry As a product market fit Yeah But we didn't have a business yet We didn't have revenue We saw money going through the platform Because of the donation mechanism And other uh, revenue generating systems But we didn't touch that money This was going directly to creators Um, And in 2019 We started experimenting with these creators uh, connecting them with advertisers uh, and, and really monetizing the media with sponsorships. And in uh, when COVID started uh, we decided to double down all our efforts on growing revenue from sponsorships. And it was a game changer for the company uh, both in terms of the uh, revenue we generated that year um, just just a total game changer so this became a a rocket ship in two segments you know there's one there, there was the product market fit rocket explosion that happened in uh june july 2017
0: and then there was the revenue explosion that happened in march 20 so the if i understand the the sponsorship uh model it's you guys hook them up. You have a platform for hooking them up with a sponsor. And then just like in podcasts, basically the gamer will talk about the chair that he's sitting on and where you can yes. buy it. With, with, it is.
1: with one uh, major difference. You remember the alerts that I mentioned earlier, when you donate money an alert would pop up on the screen. Yeah. So in the case of our platform, we harness a similar mechanism for sponsorship. So you would go live and you say I'm sponsored today by a product or service and you can buy this product right now by clicking on the link below and if you buy it then an alert is going to pop up on the screen and i'll be able to thank you live and so people oh, go nice. down to the link and they click on it and they go buy the product and an alert would pop up on screen that says "Ethan just bought a gamer's chair or uh uh you know subscribe to a digital music service whatever and you would say, hey, guys, thank you so much for subscribing to this awesome product and supporting the stream while doing so. Nice. And that's Actually- incredibly powerful. Incredibly. It's like the, the impact that this kind of media and this kind of experience has is unparalleled to anything we've seen, you know, in terms of, of just the connection uh, between the community and the creator.
2: Uh, I, I I actually I don't know if uh, Doron will allow me to tell the story, Doron, but I actually worked a bit with the stream elements. And I was it. curious
1: if you're going to bring it up because I don't yeah. know how proud you are of your involvement in that. Oh, situation. very. Okay. Very proud. <laughs> okay. Is it okay. is it fine by you to yes, tell it? Yes, of course,
2: okay. of course. So I did four campaigns with Netanyahu. We had four elections, by the way, if, if someone doesn't know uh in two years uh so two years ago it was round. i think it was the second round uh you know um netanyahu and and his team always like they always like to innovate Mm -hmm. um and they like technology and i knew the product uh by listening to economy and and following dawn and Reem. so i i told the guys in the campaign hey there's there's this cool uh product by israelis maybe we can collaborate did I tell you about it? I don't yeah, remember. I remember. Yeah. You used and um, and yeah, so we brought Doron and Reem to the historic uh, uh, Likud building, which sits in the middle of leftist Tel Aviv. <laughs> I, I, I was
1: a Likud member back then. I was part of the right. uh, Likud Niki Machadashim, Right. Who opposed? Uh, Bibi. And, uh, uh, <laughs> we didn't oppose Bibi. We just wanted him to behave like a liberal, democratic, uh, you know, uh, uh, person that represents the movement that he's part of not make it right. his own uh backyard
2: and i remember we were sitting and Dolon was pitching the product and uh and one of the and the one of the heads of the campaign was like where where can i buy shares we were all laughing uh i i think he wished he he wishes he he would have uh, <laughs> he would have
1: made a smart decision to buy shares yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, so we did is, a cool, it, very cool thing there because the idea was we were doing lots of live videos because BB would go every day to another city and every day we did like two, three live events. So I was like, let's make it interactive and in stream elements, then they weren't, they were big, but not as big as they are now. And they could still, uh, like come up and, and help us and develop like particular tools that we asked, uh, from them and they developed some very cool things one of the cool so there was the basic stuff like when bb talked you had the super uh texts and i could change it live with with like quotes from what he's saying and you had but you had like cool integration with facebook where you know on on the live facebook feed people comment so that if you watched the the feed you could see on the screen what people are commenting And the funniest feature, which was based on something that you had on your platform, which was that when someone writes something in the chat, then an icon pops with an animation on the screen. uh,
1: We we need to explain the context here. Uh, Our our platform was uh, first and foremost developed for another platform called Twitch. And on Twitch, um, one of the main ways where audience uh, responds to what's going on screen is by spamming emoji in chat so they they choose specific icons and they just spam it if somebody says something funny they would you know they would spam a a laughing emoji etc uh we decided to use and, and it's a great mechanism of audience engagement we uh decided to use that mechanism for the uh likud live streams um and every time somebody wrote in chat, Bibi Amelech, Bibi the an king. icon um, of, of the words uh, Bibi Amelech with like a funny graphic would pop on screen and just fly like a firework on screen. Right. And we did a whole bunch of that shit. Uh, audience engagements, audience interactions. And if I remember correctly, you no, know, it was only used in a single broadcast. I mean, we built the whole thing. Yeah. We launched it. Maybe it was one or two. A product,
2: this specific I, feature. Other feature were we used for yes, for many yes. like, uh, but, but, but I think point,
1: I, I think what happened is it, I I don't think that it was too much, but I do think something happened in that uh specific campaign in that specific election at that point in time, like right after the first broadcast that was using this mechanism, um, a series of uh, terrorist. Uh, events happened in Israel, right? And the the live streams of the Likud party immediately took a different tone, Uh right. less of a party, anymore. and a lot more, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think these features are very inclined to create a sense of carnival, and yeah. I don't think that vibed well with the campaign. It's at that still
2: respect. somewhere in the in, in the interwebs this this stream, but it was it was I, I liked it because in Bibi's uh, live streams, people would write Bibi Amelich a lot. So what would happen was you had like a bunch of icons like popping and, and it was it was fun. And uh, yeah, I think I, I think we were a bit ahead of our time with that thing. I think I, the-
1: I, I can share with you that both uh, Biden and uh, Trump uh, used uh, systems like that for their live streams. Uh, during the campaign so in in America for live streams for audience engagement during live streams this is now a standard the Uh entire political system is aware of the uh, of the of the platform of its uses and and many of them use use it for their live streams because if you want to connect with younger audiences the people that are voting for the first time you know in the in the media world in America this is now known as the unreachable audience it's the people that don't watch TV they don't read newspapers. They don't listen to public radio. They only use streaming services and social media platforms. And they are literally unreachable. So if you want to reach unreachable audiences, that's when you come to companies like StreamElements uh, that can provide you the service of reaching to them through creators across all social media. I wonder though, when you said you're,
2: you're a Zionist company and yet you're... Uh... You're out there. I'm wondering if you'll ever come back. Life seems sweet. I assume that I will. Uh,
1: So so (laughs) let's be clear about several things. Uh, I live right now in Austin, but for all uh, purposes, uh, when it comes to uh, stream elements, I pay taxes in Israel. It's ridiculous because I actually pay more taxes in Israel right now than ever during the time that I lived in Israel. Uh, And beyond that, you know, I I uh, have a lot of Israeli friends in other countries, and I think um, that people are not necessarily aware of how important it is that Israelis are everywhere. The fact that Israelis live in New York and in Silicon Valley, in Hollywood and in Austin, in European countries, and 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 they are essentially ambassadors of goodwill and, and you know the, the, the project, which is the uh, country of Israel, um, is overlooked by a lot of people. And I'm being asked a lot, uh, when am I coming uh, to back to Israel? I don't have a direct answer to that. I'm not done yet. Uh, but I do feel that I'm bringing Israel a tremendous amount of good by doing what I'm doing where I'm doing it. Um, So and and also the world is becoming very, very small. You know, people visit Israel all the time. I'm in constant communication and my all my friends are Israelis. I mean, I don't I I have very few um, American friends. Um, so it's interesting. I'm not so hard to no 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 I'm not saying No 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 it's it's not it's not that hard. It's just it's just much easier to be friends with Israelis. There's a gap. Cultural gap, idea. I guess. I I don't know if it's such a cultural gap. Yes, that there, there is a there are gaps in communication. There are differences in the way you you befriend someone, uh, and also we're grown ups. I mean, you know, very few people actually become really really good friends with anybody anybody in their forties. Uh, but I do have American friends. I don't think it's about that. I think that Israelis are just. Um, they're more inclined to hook up with each other it's very easy with israelis yeah we'll come we'll do a cup of coffee we'll meet we'll do a cup of coffee
0: we'll you know we'll meet for some brisket it's like yeah it's easier i think it's i think it's also being israeli in a in a foreign place I meaning any any anything any like anytime you are somewhere else i found it here with americans actually so it's the opposite the flip side of it anytime you are in a strange place you are the other and you see someone else that is the same as you it automatically actually strikes up a connection and it makes it easier to connect with that person
1: i think you're you're right um and And in Silicon Valley, by the way, the the sentiment or the feeling that you have is that everyone is the other. there mm. are, There are very few native born um, Silicon Valley Californians. Mm. Uh, the ones that that own the houses that most of the techies live in are long gone. They sold that house. It was already sold like two, three times. there's a tremendous a, a massive Asian population, uh, people from India, people from all countries, really the top of the top, the brightest and the best. Um, and, and everyone is the other. And the place is really, really great for that. By the way, Austin as well. Austin is, is enjoying a massive influx of people from all over America that just like the vibe of the city and, and want a good life fear. And these are people from everywhere. There are people from all nationalities, all colors, all races, all all genders and gender tendencies. Um, it's it's. Um, I think the thing with Israelis is that you know we have more receptors towards each other. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. You yeah. meet an Israeli, okay, you already know like fifty mutual friends on Facebook, and and whatever you went to, to similar schools it's it's um there's more glue you, you know in in avatar the movie there's this thing where they hook up with the animal with those uh, weird strings yeah the you know the- so so yeah, yeah the what whatever the sensors the the israelis have have more of those come together than okay. than with any other uh culture or nation there's this, we all know about the
2: American dream, or at least what it used to be. And there's also the Israeli dream, I think, today. The Israeli dream is uh, the exit to sell your company for loads of cash. And I'm wondering, like, if Mark Zuckerberg came to you n- tomorrow and offered, like, four or five billion dollars, would you sell
1: or consider? Fuck yeah. But, <laughs> uh, but I'm only kidding. <laughs> Here, here's the real answer. The short answer is fuck yeah, but the real answer is this. Um, you're essentially referring to what startups call a liquidity event, a point where the hard work um, of you and your team and, and the entire company um, of of building this thing and and turning this company into a massive property that all the investors and all the employees will enjoy Uh, So a liquidity event can come in multiple forms and it could come from somebody else buying the company. It could come from an IPO, from a SPAC, from um, uh, secondary sales. So investors coming in, investing money, but also buying equity from existing uh, employees and founders. And the, the variety of liquidity events that a company can have is very large these days it's bigger than ever and so you don't necessarily need to sell your company to mark zuckerberg for you to make an exit or just be safe that your investment or your hard work came to a certain amount of fruition Um, and investors know that these days and they make sure that founders and employees enjoy the fruits of their labor Long before the company goes IPO or uh, SPAC or sold
0: to um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, so what kind of and events I, are like what what are some of the types of liquidity events? You just, I just mentioned all of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay, I thought are you were saying, are you having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> uh not yet but probably soon um but it's not it's i thought ipo was a type of liquidity right yes and it is. selling it's it ipo
1: it's back it's secondary sale during an investment round it's okay. um it, it's just selling some of the founders and employees uh properties okay. you have now uh funds who are who only invest in companies in secondary sales so they just swoop in companies, buy equity from people who have it right now, and they do nothing else. They don't invest additional money, they don't do another funding round, they just buy secondary stock.
2: Right, but there's um, the
1: approach that says
2: like, I want, I will never sell, I will build the next Facebook, the next uh, Google. So
1: so I, I think from our perspective at moments there's a there's a market category there's an opportunity to be captured and we're not even scratching the surface of capturing it so the appetite for growing the company more and more uh, definitely to the billions of dollars uh, is absolutely there with everyone in the team and i know with our investors as well Um, but how far the journey will go and whether or not we'll be a public company or a private company for years to come or owned by a different corporation that wants this business category and interest and is interested in the opportunity that's really an open question we don't know yet okay doron it's very inspiring really
2: it's 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 just Indeed. inspiring what can, it's, it's I, much, actually, I i always it's tell true. my friends
1: that the biggest inspiration that i can bring them is that a nerd dummy like me actually pulled it off And so they could probably do it too. So so this is the extent of inspiration. You think an Uh, Ethiopian
2: guy from Dimona who just finished the military can become an entrepreneur and... uh, The short answer is absolutely.
1: I think they will probably, um, they will probably go through several cycles of entrepreneurship before hitting something as big. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, the answer is absolutely. We, we, I don't think there was ever a point in history where capitalism was such a dominant form of thinking. And by capitalism, I essentially mean that the ability of an individual to drive value to investors, uh, gain capital, and build a meaningful business, is better than ever in the history of, of mankind. That might not be necessary, uh, necessarily true for specific pockets in the world, like Russia these days, but as a general you know, average across all of humanity, absolutely, much better than ever before.
2: Amazing. Okay, thank you so much, Dolan. What can we plug before we go? um one what big can point. we plug so <laughs> like anyone yeah. can go to stream elements and sign up said yes. it's free
1: stream elements is free for everyone um and there's a, an, an incredible team of professionals on our discord community that can help anyone uh start their My channel set up their channel even your grandmother uh which we would love to uh by the way th- there are some gamer grand grandparents yeah, uh, there's one called Gram- gamer Ga- grandpa and one called gamer grandma and like a whole bunch of these and they actually enjoy quite a lot of success. They're good gamers. They're entertaining. They bring their life experience to the channel. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. So that's free. Uh, Geekonomy, um, uh, the podcast that me and Ram started back in 2015, still running strong. With I don't know probably like three to four episodes every week, which is kind of insane. In Hebrew, though, um, in Hebrew though, yes. But um, but you're welcome to subscribe to that. That's it. Plugs enough plugs.
0: Very cool, amazing. Thank you so Thank much, you so much
2: for coming on. Thank Good you luck. for having me. And hopefully, five years the after... uh... yeah, right. We don't we don't talk about that yet on the show.
1: We don't talk about Bruno. Do you talk, talk
2: about about that, did no. you talk about Will Smith? Did you talk about Will Smith? your thing, no. What do you mean we didn't? No, we didn't. We haven't mentioned it? No. We did. You kept it No, we didn't. You kept it a secret. You okay. want to Well, We go next recap.
0: <laughs> okay. Next recap. Um, yeah. I'm having a baby. <laughs> Not Yay! me. Not me personally. <laughs>
1: we're having a baby <laughs> yeah yeah. we're having a baby. <laughs> i i, I, wish I mean you she's going through all the
0: difficulty and the struggle but we're having a baby <laughs> exactly exactly
1: i wish you all the best of health and luck thank and you. and mazel tov and beshatova and everything thank you so much thank you
2: don't thank you so much Okay, bye. guys thank you thank you for joining us and see you in the next one see you next time guys
0: Bye. bye